Hello, and welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, and friend, James Goad. And together, we're examining the very weird things that preachers say, the history behind what they say, and how it traces back through time through the latter rain healing revivals. James, I'm a little bit excited about today. If you can't tell from my office here, <laughs> I'm really big <laughs> into music. And... Um, I we needed a fun episode after all of the, the weird histories we've been getting into and all of the historical podcasts. I just needed something fun to take my mind off of, of it for a while. And one of the listeners to our show sent us in a request that why don't we do some do an episode on the weird songs that people play in the churches? <clears throat> and I got to thinking about it when I was in the message cult. There were some weird songs. I'm not going to lie. There were. <laughs> I wish I had a list of all the weird ones <laughs> we had in there. <laughs> there was there were some very weird ones, but uh, there were also s- some themes that just you know when you're in the in any religion and and you get into the the spirit of worship and the music, a lot of times your mind just kind of shuts off and you don't really think about the words themselves and what they say and what they mean. And whenever I left the religion, (laughs) when I left the family business, I started re-examining not only the doctrines in the sermons and, you know, new sermons from new pastors, but also the music, because there was some very, very wrong theology in the music itself. And the example that I always use is there were several songs talking about when we die and go to heaven, we'll sit on a cloud and play a harp. Well, that's not the way it works, man. <laughs> and even even if it was, who wants to go there? <laughs> you know, you're not right. You're not going to want to sit up there and play a harp the rest of your life. <laughs> well, there's there's just some weird because people who were writing it they just needed wor- words to rhyme, and so they stuck it together. And you really don't think about it, but that's a off the wall bad example but there are some examples where people have written songs and they've based it on really really wrong theology one of the groups that uh, my favorite music growing up and even long after leaving the cult was southern gospel music my favorite band was the inspirations quartet and there are photographs i don't know if i can find them but the inspirations quartet traveled with a lot of the latter rain guys and you can find photographs of them like singing with oral roberts you know it's they they were deeply embedded well what's interesting is the theology of their music the theology that they were listening to in these sermons kind of flowed into their music and i'll never forget we were in a message cult church listening to a you know the prophet of Malachi four, which we believed was William Branham, and then I hear this inspiration song singing about the the latter rain has already begun, and he sent our prophets to, to the land. And I was thinking, I wonder if they're talking about William Branham. Years later, after all of this research, I realized, wait a minute, they actually were. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's that's crazy to to think that there's uh, well, and you know, there's so many people that have been influenced by this, and so it, it shouldn't be too shocking, I guess, that that you do see those those things that do pop up. But yeah, no, yeah, there's been, um, like you said, there's so many different uh, different songs that we could take a look at <coughs> and different things because 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 it does there, the the people get under the inspiration of the of the movement and they want to want to start making music that uh that speaks to them and the and the movement that they're that they're in um and so s- some of those things they come up with when you're in these strange groups uh the music that is a result of that can get even stranger so um let's take a look at this first one and uh and and uh, see what we think about that God, when we first play, it's 
So, James, that's a weird song. Not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, especially weird considering the context of it because we've all heard the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, and it's entered <laughs> mainstream. You go you go to your office, you're going to hear them say, don't drink the Kool-Aid, which means literally don't give in and suddenly jump in head first without examining what it is you're jumping into because Jim Jones and his 900 People's Temple followers drank cyanide-laced Kool-Aid and all died. So on the one hand, you've got Jim Jones, who convinced everybody to drink the, t- the tape water or People's Temple water. And on the other hand, you've got people who are now singing about drinking the tape water. It's just, it's so weird, James. Yeah, th- this is something, um, because in, in the group I came out of, this would be considered heresy, this sort of song right here. I mean, they had their own songs that were uh, just as problematic, but those were their songs. They came up with those. Um, but uh, yeah, th- this was, this when I first encountered this, this was really strange and um, I was taken aback because I just was not exposed to this level of, um, uh, well... It, it, it's it's more of like it's all kind of the same when you get down to it but there's just different approaches and different groups have different sort of things that they focus on and um with this group being so focused on the tapes um it produces things like this that just for someone like me it, it just was completely it was a complete shock because um i almost didn't even didn't even sort of really comprehend the level that some of these things were being promoted in some of these other groups yeah, there's there's some key phrases in this. The person now we're not picking on the person who's singing or you know even the songwriter. These people are programmed to believe like this and that's that's the way that they believe. We're not picking on them. They are a result of the bigger problem here. And if you examine the this song, this is literally a song about being in mind control. It says, the very voice of God when we press play. They're referring to a recorded sermon. They're recording to (laughs) the same sermons that I listened to from, we had access to 1947 to 1965 of our prophet guy. And they're saying that in the song, they're saying that the very voice of God when we press play, they're saying that the speaker, the human, the man who was in this case William Branham, was the voice of God, which, you know, take it all through latter rain. You've got Voice of God recordings, which publishes Branham's sermons, so they're saying he's Voice of God. You've got Spoken Word publications, which prints the sermons, and it's the spoken word replacing the Bible. On Kenneth Hagin's side, you've got Rima, which means the spoken word. So these people are saying this is God that you're listening to, and where it gets really, really problematic it says believe and obey so they are not only are it does the song display the mind control of believing that this human is a god it's also saying that we have to believe and obey everything the human says because he's god yeah (laughs) it's uh it really when you really break it down and examine what's being said you know because and like you said not not going after the people who who are singing and and writing these songs because a lot of these people are extremely talented they've got beautiful voices and um you know so i mean i and going after them is is not the goal but it is is to examine the content of what's being said and sung in some of these instances but yeah it, it really it really is troublesome, especially when you examine some of the other fallout around Branham's movement. You've got Jim Jones and others who, and even things more recently, and how how far people have pushed these sorts of movements and some of the bad ways they go and some of the programming. And you hear the programming coming across in some of these lyrics, and it, it just it makes you go like, okay, whoa, that's 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 a little too far. Yeah. And especially, there's a phrase in there, please don't drink it and die. It's almost as though the the author of the song, whoever's the songwriter, 
had some sort of cognitive dissonance going on, they realized that, wait a minute, (laughs) this is very much like drinking Kool-Aid in Jonestown, Guyana. So it's, it's really, really strange that this not only made it into the lyrics of a song, but... James, this was a church service that this was played in. These, these, this was in front of an entire audience of people who were listening literally to this person come on stage and say that this human being that is now dead and is in the grave was God on the earth. Yeah, and what's so what's so mind blowing about it, you know, because because I heard similar songs in my time in in some of these groups, and uh, you, you know, you're you're literally lifting up the person of the cult leader, um, in this case, William Branham, to such a high level in that where he's either on par with God or he surpasses God in whatever context you're looking at in some of these th- situations. But in, in it's like, and at the same time, you're telling yourself, well, this is just normal. But in fact, any, for any outside person in a normal situation would look at that and be like, that's not normal. You're singing about a man in a religious context and all the while in some of these groups say, well, we don't, we don't worship the man. The man is just the messenger. He was just, he just brought the thing. But then the, the the act of singing about the prophet brings you so much joy and f- makes you feel spiritual. It really is very backwards when you examine it from that way. Yeah. And I mean, none of it's normal, man. <laughs> We're drinking tape, <laughs> tape water. I mean, <laughs> this this is not your common phrase in the English language. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm drinking yeah. tap water, but it's in this nice bottle. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's so weird, man. And, you know, what's what's ironic about this? This, you know, William Branham was the leader of the post-World War II healing revival. People realized that... What he was introducing into the church was very heretical, and very early on, like early in the, I want to say it's like 1953, people started breaking away from him because this was wrong, what he was doing, and it progressed even worse towards the end of his life whenever all of the deity doctrines come in. We're going to actually be soon examining that on the podcast, but William Branham Early on, people could see that he was heading towards the pathway, just like John Alexander Dowie, where he was putting himself into a position of authority that was a destructive cult. People started breaking away from him. Jim Jones, ironically, was in this cult. So Jim Jones was a leader in this cult. So the irony is just, it's mind-boggling. But what happened once the deity framework was established and William Branham started generating what became the deity cult, which is this weird group within the message. What happened is you had all of these groups that began to splinter and then they they kind of played tug of war with each other. Some said Branham was the deity, others there are you know, there were numerous cults that were created from Latter Rain. Other Latter Rain prophets and apostles and ministers were deified in in this weird thing that became the results of the latter rain movement which was this wide variety of cults yeah and there's so many so many groups that as you examine how they splintered um after branham's death and and, and the ways that they sort of gathered groups around them and um you know, tried to have their own interpretation and in their ways, uh, fix them. And then you had those groups went south and then you had the newer generation of ministers come up and they were like, well, we're fixing what they broke because we've got the true understanding. But those guys were running <laughs> with Branham and they were the closest to the source and they got it wrong, but you're going to come in and fix it now because you've got a better understanding because you studied more and this and that, which it, it's funny how they can go back and look at some of those situations and and say that, well, they, because every one of these guys just got it wrong. Every one of these guys just, just misinterpreted what he said and, and this and that. And it really, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to, to see that because the, the, the music that we're examining and the lyrics in them are symptomatic of what, what else is going on in the larger movement because, uh, people are coming up, they're, they're trying to, cognitively digest what's being said and they're trying to make it line up with their bible they're trying to do all these sorts of things and then they come up with these songs that seem to they sound so spiritual um but then you're injecting uh 
stuff from this guy over here and that guy over there. And yeah, it just, it creates a concoction that, that is just, um, it, 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 it's, yeah, it, it's so toxic in so many ways because, you know, there's, there's just, uh, because yeah, it does. It gets away from, from the Bible, the, the gospel, and it, it focuses it more back on the man, William Branham, um, and which is extremely problematic. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really, really odd. And whenever, these splinter groups, they're aware that each other has chosen the pathway that they're on. In any city in the United States that I've been to where there was a concentration of believers of this thing, you'd have two churches, sometimes even in the same city, and there was no fellowship between them. They they literally drew their line in the sand and said, we believe in drinking tape water. <laughs> and the other group says, no, we don't. That's silly. <laughs> There's this other clip here that we wanted to play um, that sort of illustrates that exact situation right there. So let's, let's take a look and uh, break it down. And Philip opened his tape player and pushed. Friends, can't you see what this evil thing does? It adds right to our scripture. And they feel no remorse. Scream, holler, shout. Sing their songs about drinking tape water. Who ever heard of such a thing? Yeah, it's just so odd. You know, <clears throat> when people go to these kind of churches, these are normal people. Many of them have no idea that they're in a cult. And they go to their day jobs or their, you know, wherever they go in their normal life. And they tell people, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm going to church on Sunday. Would you like to join me? Come to church and hear about Jesus. And many of those people who they, they invite are aware that they're in a cult, so they're not going to come. But those people who are aware they're in a cult have no idea that they're showing up and they're listening to songs about drinking tape water. It's just... <laughs> it's, you know, I will never forget whenever I left the message and again, I'm, I'm a musician. I love music. I've examined music, you know, the musical theory, etc. When I began to process how my head had been manipulated in a cult, not just through the sermons, but also through the music, I began to realize that it was very much like the ancient mythologies, not just in the sermons, but also in the music. You had, you know, the songs of Zeus. You had, you had these people who were singing the praises to the ancient deity, which wasn't the Christian God, right? Well, these people live their normal everyday lives. They go to work and they say, we're a follower of Jesus and we're going to go hear about Jesus on Sunday in church. And then they go hear a song like one of the songs I grew up with was called The Cabin's Location. And this was literally a song about the prophet William Marion Branham. There was almost zero content about Jesus. It was all about <laughs> <laughs> the, the life and times of William Branham. And there were people who would say, praise God, amen, during the song. And it was a song about this man who came and he's long dead and, I mean, he's long rotten in the grave. And I'll play a clip from the song for you, but this is just so weird. Yeah, that that one. Um, that's another one. Yet again, that took me by surprise. I'd never heard that one in my group. Um, but yeah, I mean, singing, literally creating a song about the prophet and his journey through life and all the trials and tribulations he went through. It it just further goes to deify the 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 central figure in a in a religion that's not that on the outside they say it's about jesus it's about god it's not about the central figure but then again there's so many things that point back to this this man and and, and i've even heard i've even heard ministers say that without the message there would be no need for a rapture and it, that, that just blows my mind altogether because it's like you know what are you even saying because you know yeah. it, it but it it's these things further tie into that larger context that's being built in some of these groups um yeah and it, it is it's, it's, it's just a mess and, and mind-boggling too yeah and you know whenever i was in the message and we heard this song 
Again, in the music, in the worship service, you have the perfect opportunity to hijack somebody's brain because all critical thought is shut down. And then what happens is they'll be singing these tunes in their head after they leave, and whatever's said in the tune has entered their brain without critical analysis, and they'll go home and this enters their mind, and literally it can hijack somebody's mind. The cabin's location for me is such a good example of (laughs) my mind being hijacked because not only was this a song in worship of a human being instead of God, and again, they sang it in churches, man. This <laughs> Instead of singing about the praises of Jesus, you sang about a log cabin <laughs> in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever I began to examine just the log cabin history, William Branham, like all of the other revivalists in this weird movement, It was all about their personality, their stage persona. They weren't just selling whatever was the the gimmick of the show. You know, sometimes it was divine healing. Sometimes it was a rebranding of salvation of sorts. And it wasn't just that they were selling the theology. They were selling themselves. And if you go through, we've got examples on the website, The Voice of Healing magazine. You can go through and you can see all of these men who had angelic visitations and visions and prophecies and their life stories and their histories. And it's about the human being. And so I, you know, one of the first things that I did was I started to examine, okay, who was the human being? (laughs) What, what did I believe (laughs) about this cabin's location? And all of the life stories of William Branham, which is the mythology that it is the Zeus <laughs> that they're singing about. It's the, the songs <laughs> of Poseidon, right? <clears throat> right. It's all, it was all totally fiction. Branham mentions all of the siblings who were with him in this log cabin in Kentucky. And he, he's even mentioning siblings who were never born in Kentucky. They were born in, in a nice river casino town of Jeffersonville, Indiana. But they've entered this mythology that they were in Kentucky. And again, back to the mind control, I truly believed because the man said it, that he and his siblings were raised in the booming casino town of Jeffersonville, Indiana. I believed it. The man said it in his life story. He also said in his life story that the same siblings were in in the hills of Kentucky hunting and trapping and fishing and it, it's all so weird, and I never really, you know, I listen to these tapes over and over, so I listen to the life story over and over and over again, but I will say that because of the music, it stuck with me even further. For me, The Cabin was so significant because that tune, even still today, when we started thinking about songs, that, that's the first song come to my head, The Cabin's Location. Yeah, and, and, and I... I know that this is something that I've seen a lot in, in the groups that I, I was familiar with was that music was a big part of the service and, um, you know, in, in, you know, massive portion. I don't know if you could really calculate a percentage sometimes because it would depend on the service. And sometimes you'd have, you'd have worship services that would just go on for, for ages and, and all these different songs that would come through. And sometimes you'd have more traditional songs than you, then you'd have interspersed in some of these more, uh, cultish songs. And, um, you know, it really, yeah, it really does. Music can really get in there and sink its teeth in in a different way than just the guy getting up and speaking sometimes and um you know it, it's very uh it, it's very interesting the process the the the, the th- part that it plays in the process of of entrapping the mind and and instilling the idea of, of, of what you're trying to get across. And it's almost, it's almost, it almost reminds me of that movie Inception, um, yeah. where they're trying to plant the idea, you know, and they have to go so many levels deep to get the idea to stick, you know, and it's almost like that's what's going on in some of these groups with the music. Yeah. And that song, I mean, <clears throat> that particular song is, you know, from coast to coast. There were churches that had it. There are people who actually make a journey to, this area they come to jeffersonville to mecca but then they take a tour all the way down into burksville because again the song is about the cabin's location of burksville and they go down and see this cabin's location they take you in the middle of this 
open field where there's nothing, right? And I never will forget my surprise. The first time I'm studying the history of the voice of healing and I'm reading there's there's another set of William Branham's life stories that are even different than the ones we had on recording <laughs> that he himself wrote. And one I'll read the quote. He said, I was born in the state of Kentucky in a little old log cabin, had no floor, just the hard dirt, had a few rooms in it, a little kitchen off to the side. The building was made of large logs, and I remember that I used to look and I'd think this house would never come down. It's too big and strong. But friends... There's a housing project there now. <laughs> now they, they take you in the middle of this open field where, James, there is no housing project there. <laughs> yeah, all the, the, the mythology around the cabin is something that's very interesting when you start deprogramming. Um, it, it, it wasn't something that was extremely focused on in my group because my group is more... Um, my group was more focused on like the the later stuff, the '63, the Seals, the things like that. So some of this early stuff was was used sometimes in Sunday school to sort of, um, you know, give you little bite sized things that you could sort of comprehend. But later on, it, it just was kind of glossed over. No one ever really talked about it, as far as my experience, anyways. But yeah, but when you really look in it's, and the different versions and all the things that are said and and um, all the things that are said about the cabin and its location and 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 the the things that what happened in the cabin or didn't happen in the cabin and all these sorts of things. And you're just like, wait, how, how does this, how does this, how does this fit into the larger story? Because just like with many things with Branham, there's, he said one thing here and then he said one thing over here. And then you're just like, but I thought if it's coming from his own memory, the man should be able to keep this straight. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's, I mean, there's just so many conflicting stories. We've examined them in the podcast, but they're, what what's really sad is a lot of these conflicting stories are solidified through the music. You know, people there are people who sometimes critically think in a sermon, not as often as they should in a cult environment, but the music is one place that they really don't think about critically thinking because you get happy and you get caught up in the you know the complexity of the music and the instruments and the playing and you're thinking about the musician really more than you are the song the song just takes a the lyrics take a side a sideshow to the guitars or the piano whatever's the the instruments playing and you really don't think about the um you know about the theology that goes in the song <clears throat> and because many of them have catchy tunes by design that catchy tune sometimes with really, really false theology will enter into your head and you'll leave the sermon with, <laughs> you, you'll probably forget about half of what's said during the sermon, but you'll leave the sermon, leave the church with the song just stuck in your head and this, whatever's the false theology of the song just goes along with that. Yeah, so this next one we wanted to take a look at is just another example of, of, of the music focusing in on the prophet, the central figure of the movement, and, uh, and his, his role and stuff like that. So yeah, let's take a look at this. Yeah, you know, we had, I don't know how many different songs about a prophet has come, a prophet has come. It was so much that I thought, this is normal. This is how church is. If you go to church, you're going to hear that a prophet has come. And it's this is not just the case in the message cult of personality of William Branham. If you go to any one of the latter rain splinter groups in churches, you're going to find that there are songs about the prophet that has come. If you go to a Kenneth Hagen offshoot, you're going to hear about the prophet Kenneth Hagen. I mean, it's that really, it's really that weird. If you were in People's Temple, one of the people who died, you likely heard songs about the prophet Jim Jones before he died because he was in this just like all of the other people who drank the tape Kool-Aid water. But, you know, when you go to a normal church and you don't hear songs about the prophet, there's this weird thing that happens after you've left 
this type of movement because where are all the songs about the prophet, man? (laughs) Was there not supposed to be an end of days prophet that came? I never will forget having that conversation with the first church that I went to. I took the pastors out to eat for lunch, and I'm I'm describing what it is I came from, and. They just kind of scratched their head and said, "Really? They they didn't sing about Jesus?" And I said, "Well, they <laughs> well they did, but many times it was about Jesus and the prophet. Sometimes it was, you know, a normal Christian song. But there's just so many weird songs about the prophet. And again, you don't think about the theology of it. But they just looked at me and they said, "Well, what about Luke sixteen sixteen?" And I, um, what's that? <laughs> they said the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is preached, and every man presseth into it. And I, you know, I was still so manipulated in my mind. I, I really didn't think about what that meant. And I said, "Well, what is the kingdom of God? It's that's what the prophets came to proclaim, right?" And they said. This is referring to the gospel, John. <laughs> you know, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. You proclaim the gospel as a New Testament Christian. And when it says the law and the prophets were until John, if you break that down, what it's saying, the law and the prophets is what they called literally the Old Testament. You had the books of the law, you had the books of the prophet, and that was the Old Testament. And then it's referring to John the Baptist. You had the Old Testament until John, and since John, the gospel is preached. And they said, where does the, where does the prophets of the 20th century fit into that picture? <laughs> I, I know. It, it's amazing because, I mean, it, what's so crazy is that single scripture creates so many problems for a message canon and message theology because there's and there's so many different ways and you can use to to dice up the whole the whole thing um but yeah the, the focus on a central figure of a prophet in 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 the message is is so extremely problematic because it they they have to they have to one shoehorn him into the Bible by trying to make all these things, and then they have to create this canon of all these other prophets throughout since Jesus to sort of make it make you believe that oh yeah this is th- of course we have a prophet in this age, um, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, and you know yeah, and then when you when you come out because whether you've been raised in it or you've been or you've been around it so long, that is one of the first things and, and that you see and, and you experience when you're when you're coming out is you're like well wait a minute if it's not Branham then who is it and then that's even another further level of, of deprogramming you have to go through because you're just like well no you're not looking for another man <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. that's not that's not what the gospel is about um, but but you, they spend so much time focusing on this central figure and how it's so important and how 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 salvation and everything else that 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 the the gospels bring is is almost not even relevant or possible without Branham you know and and, and it's different in other groups they've got their own central figure and 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 the guy that they they and it's it's similar you know different words and different different things but but yeah no it, it, it is so it's so crazy the amount of focus in all sects of of these groups and, and they all they like like we ex- showed earlier that they 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 have their own little infighting and they have their own little version that they cling to and say well well we've got the pure version and you all are off on your own little la la land and and we we believe the bible the right way and we've got the message and the bible in the right order and and and, and we see it right but in the same but it's all the same thing it, it, it's just different flavors of the same kool-aid you might want to say <laughs> yeah you know that's one of the problems really in and how this weird mess has continued to survive because every group, like you said, every group is manipulated to believe that there has to be some prophet. They fully ignore this verse from Luke 16 in the Bible. In fact, if, if you go search any of their sermons, you're not going to find this verse. They, they don't want to talk about that one. But what has happened is they've manipulated people to believe that there must be one, there must be an end-of-days prophet, and because of that, there must also be, if your prophet is wrong, there must be another one <laughs> that is the one. And so it sets up this whole scenario for re-victimization. 
We just recently had a person contact us from the Mosesburg Children of God cult. They, I think they call themselves the Family International now. And this person escaped the cult and contacted us to give us information, some inside information, which we shared in the podcast recently. But um, the David Berg cult is infamous in the United States because of the flirty fishing. They're the group that sent all the women out to entice people into joining the cult by having sex with them. <laughs> it was literally it was Christian prostitution. And this person was a part of that. He is one of the men in the group. And once he escaped that group, he got re-victimized, ironically, in a William Branham cult, not knowing that David Berg was actually originally, the, before it became the Children of God cult, he was part of this latter rain thing, and William Branham himself is the one who who set him on the path that he chose. So this, this whole weird thing of re, re-victimization, it's a true problem. And, you know, there are... There are songs that solidify there must be a prophet, but there are also songs that are referring to those that leave this prophet to go to another prophet. Yeah, it it it's uh, it is sad to, to see this example here because it's um, it, it's another example of of how you're trying to when when you're in these group you're trying to. Uh, combat those who, who leave because think about it is when you're when you're in these groups you don't have an argument because you're you're in a cult mindset and it's not it's not based on reality and so you uh, the, the programming in your mind tries to find ways to combat it and shield you away from it and th- this song is a, is an example of, of some of the things that people do to try to rationalize why people are leaving and why they're staying um, so yeah let's take a look at this one what do they leave isn't this message still the same? Why do they seek for something more than simplicity? Why do they turn, turn their backs on you, oh Lord? Why do they yearn for something more? Your truth is what I- Yeah, James. There is nothing that advertises we are a cult better than we are a cult who, after you leave, we're going to sing songs about you (laughs) in a negative way. (laughs) Or, you know, I've been to churches. I've I've left churches. After the message cult, I have tried and experienced new churches, some of them for quite some time. And when you leave a normal non-cult church, everybody's... You know, they're they're sad to see you go on the one hand, but they're also happy for your experience. They say, well, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope your new church is a good church home for you. And they send you on your way with open arms if you want to come back. They, I'm still friends with people from like three or four churches ago, and we're actually scheduled to go out to dinner soon. In a normal non-cult scenario, you're free to leave. You're free to come. You're, there isn't this cult mentality of us versus them, and if you walk away, we're going to burn every bridge between <laughs> you and us. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It's 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 crazy because, um, you know, there's so much pressure put on people, especially especially these days, and some of the some of the research that we've been doing, um, as far as the the penalties of leaving and and the penalties of um, you know, looking into the questions about Branham, you know, because it's going to hurt your faith or pull you away and the devil's going to get into your mind and start me- messing around. And then before long, you're not going to be in church no more. You're going to be out doing horrible things and sinning. And, and, and it, it, it is just, it's so far from the truth. You know, it's like, um, Everybody who leaves has their own journey that they go on to as they find these things and, and they're, they're re- literally rebuilding their mind, uh, and as, as they're deprogramming from, from the cult mentality. And, um, you know, it, it's, 
they'll they'll use instances of people and they'll try to find the worst examples of people and they'll try to hoist them up in front of their congregation and say look at these people look what happened when they left and so so yeah it's not surprising that someone will write a song like this defending why they're still in um because you know they they believe it's faith it's yeah, it's it's in you know it turns some focus on it's not intellectual faith it's it's real faith i have real strong faith because the intellectual faith is what you had and that's the reason why you left because you tried to think about it too much <laughs> yeah you know it's it's so problematic that the irony of it being in a song you know in a church service in a normal non-cult church service Songs are intended to be uplifting and proclaim Jesus, and you know, you, you walk away with a good feeling. You tap your foot as you're driving the car <laughs> home. You know what I mean? And in a cult church, you literally walk away and you feel kind of sick to your stomach because you're you're singing guilt and doom and shame on those who disagree with you. It's just not the Christian way, man. And I've been in services where people have left and the minister has spoken very negatively about them when they left and many of us who've escaped this cult and other similar cults they, they all have the same experience if you're in a cult and somebody doesn't come back or if they've been asked never to come back because they had a question about the theology or whatever they try to sever contact and it's again if if you compare cult mentality versus Christianity, it is so far vastly different because, you know, the Bible says, how many times should we forgive them? Seventy times seven, right? As many times as you can try to pull them in to save their soul, that's how the Christian way is. But in a cult church, it's so vastly different because in a cult church, whenever somebody has a question or whenever somebody has discovered some critical information, they're going to cut them off. They're going to talk bad about them. They're going to basically take the mindset of the collective hive mind in the, in the church, and they're going to focus the anger and the scorn of that hive mind against whoever's leaving. And it's the opposite of the 70 times seven. You in a cult, you do not want them to come back. Yeah, so that that leads us right into this next uh, clip we wanted to take a look at here. Um, you know, it it shows that when the when, when the music <clears throat> stops working, that the ministers have another level that they can ratchet things up to if they so choose um, to fool to to scare you away from even questioning because because of the of the state that those who leave are in. Uh, but yeah, let's take a look at this and uh, dissect it a little bit. Describes a lot of the former message believers. Vomit, mire, and dirt. Which is the abominable, the defiling. You see, these apostates are compared to dogs and pigs. <laughs> yeah, you know, James, I don't really even have anything to say to this it's <laughs> it speaks for itself i mean our listeners who are have never been involved in a cult and if you're curious as to whether or not the message is a cult just listen to those clips that's really all you have to do oh it's one of those things that um uh, you know i i know from my experience being in it when you hear stuff like that it you know if, if your mind is still in, it, it really drives the fear to another level. Uh, and the fear is something that, that is such a hard part of coming out because you're, because you're being told there's eternal damnation from turning away from, from, because you've been privileged to hear the truth of the hour and to turn away from the truth. I mean, I mean, what, what can God do but, but damn you to hell forever because there, there is no grace for you because, because what you've done is, is the ultimate sin by rejecting the word of the hour. And, you know, when, when the ministers draw such a, um, such a, whew, um, just a very direct and, and, and vicious attack on those who leave, you know, it, it helps make the fear dig in deeper in your mind. And, and it's something that it's, you know, it, it is one of the hardest things to combat when you leave. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a shame that, that, people have to listen to this and to um 
you know, and, and just and just to have these things being coming into their mind, because really, it's it's not just attack on those who leave. It's an attack on the person that's listening, because the objective is not to it's not necessarily to attack the person. It's to keep you from wanting to go after them or wanting to wanting to hear what they have to say. And it's and that that right there is is such a dangerous part of of this example. Exactly, and you know, again, I've been to normal churches now. I grew up. 37 years in a cult church. So I had this mentality. It's it's really sad to think that I was manipulated to be exactly like this. I thought like this. I never really was outspoken about it because fortunately, I love people. And I just can't, even back in the cult, I couldn't see myself talking like this about another human being. But I thought like this, which is just as bad. And I fully apologize it if if I ever thought a bad thought about anybody who's listening but it's just so different because even in the Bible if you're if you're a reader of the Bible you read who Jesus was hanging with and it was the good old boys James <laughs> the, the people <laughs> the drunkards I never really thought about this but he hung with the tax collectors and in our day you think okay irs agent he's hanging with a tax collector this was a tax collector for the roman empire during the roman invasion of and an occupation of jerusalem this was the lowest form of vile human <laughs> in the city <laughs> to to the jews right these were not the people that were well-respected. I'll just put it like that. And these were the people that the Pharisees would kick out of a church. These are the ones who you would hear the Pharisees say, these are dogs, these are pigs, and my voice will haunt you in Sheol. <laughs> you know? My voice will haunt you in hell. <laughs> it's, it's just so, it's so ironic because this is the message of the Pharisees. If you were to put that mentality into Jesus Christ, who's with these people, it would be like a scripture of Jesus taking their heads and just shoving it in the mud after they've already been scorned by the rest of the city. That's what this message is. It's not not Christianity by any means. And if you can't tell that from the level of scorn and the pure hatred that love casts, perfect love casts out all fear. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is a message of fear. This is a message of scorn. This is a message of cult mentality, to say it to say it very plainly. And it's not Christianity by no means. This is the opposite of Christianity. But if you can't tell it from that, you can also look to the songs because the people who are in this, they want to drink the tape water of this cult mentality and it's just so sad there's so many problems that um you know we could examine and go over and on all these things and it's 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 hard sometimes to have to sort of uh hone ourselves in and only pick a few things to go to go on here but uh but yeah the 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 the, the problematic nature of going after uh the people and and not being and and you'll you'll hear some of these ministers talk about being salty, like the scriptures say, to draw people in. But when someone close leaves, they go scorched earth. And it's it's not yeah. about being salty anymore. It's not about drawing people near. It's not about drawing people in. It's about further isolating the group that they have, the people within their reach, and further indoctrinating them and, and encaging them in a fear to where they, they don't leave or they, they're so afraid of questioning that they they have, they, I mean, some people develop medical issues because the fear is enveloped so deep down in, in, in their mind that, that they really struggle with this sort of thing. And I know for me personally, when I came out, the fear was real. You know, as you're looking through the things and you're like, am I just reading John's website? Am I blaspheming the Holy Ghost? Am I, am, am I, am I going to be, uh, uh, a damned to hell forever? You know, and it's, it's, you know, the fear is real and, and the, and all the processes that we're examining that are being used to, to, to ensnare people's minds is is real it has real consequences and it really i really f feel for those who are still under the the influence of this and you know i and i hope i hope the best for every one of them because it's it's something that when you can see the light and and, and get beyond that fear and start to think think 
clearly and 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 clean of all the all the indoctrination um it really is a new lease on life it's really this simple james if you're in one of these churches that is quote unquote drinking the tape water you have to ask yourself is the minister who is the shepherd of the sheep is this a minister who loves the sheep who loves the flock whenever one of the sheep goes astray does he leave the 90 and 9, as, as the good Christian song says, does he leave the 90 and 9 to find the one and try to bring them back? Or does he call the one who's left a dog, a hog, and I'll watch you sheep burn in hell? Is, is that the kind of minister it is? Is it a minister that shows love or is it a minister that is showing scorn? I mean, it's really that simple. You have to ask yourself, what kind of a church am I in? But, you know... There, like you said, there are a thousand different examples that we could go into. Um, I, because of the music, I love the music. I, I would actually like to go for the next five hours <laughs> talking about the, <laughs> the weird songs that we had, man. But, yeah. um, you know, there's just so much. It's too much for one show. If you have questions and you want to have us talk about it on the show, send us in. And I guess now I'll add, if you have music <laughs> that you want us to talk on the show, <laughs> send it in. You can contact us at william-branham.org. And for an overview of the historical research of William Branham in the Healing Revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible.